Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. Today, I want to leave a thought with you that is like a threefold cord that is not easily broken. It is follow me, be my witnesses, go. They're all things that Jesus said. Follow me, say follow me, be my witnesses, go. If we obey those three things, we have the capacity to turn the world upside down. Let's go to the scripture. There are times when there are things that get in the way. Uh, the wise preacher who wrote Proverbs, Solomon said, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. And we want to root them out. We're going to begin in Matthew verse 21, and we're going to read three verses, 20 through 22. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. I sense by the Spirit of God that God is saying to somebody, you follow me. Like Peter, sometimes we get distracted by things that belong to God. And Jesus said, you follow me. If it's my will that he remains till I come again, what is that to you? You can't do anything about it. There are times as people we want to engage in things that we can't do anything about. That's a distraction. And so Jesus wanted to keep them and us on course. He said, you follow me. I find this interesting on many levels because they're walking with Jesus. They're walking with him. Is there anybody in the room who's walking with Jesus? Just a little walk with Jesus. But he turns and he looks at John. And Matthew tells us the one who was leaning on him, John was close to him. He's like, I got a question. I need to get it in before this one who's the teacher's pet gets here. People are watching you. <laughs> if you're close to him, I promise you there are folk who are watching you because you can sense someone who has a close, intimate relationship with him. And he, he turned around and he asked a two-part question. He said, who betrays you and what about him? What's gonna happen to that man? When they were at, sitting at the Lord's table, Jesus said, the one who sups with me betrays me. How come they didn't know it was Judas? 
because they all did. You couldn't, you couldn't single him out. There are, I, I took communion with a group of friends who are pastors. We, we go around to each other's churches and sometimes we go to each other's house to pray, especially if someone's going through something. We pray together, we weep together, we speak into each other's lives. It's a wonderful, wonderful fellowship. Everybody lays down their crowns and we just rally like, like blood. When, when there's something in your body, the hemorrhaging is the blood going to heal. And that's what the blood of Jesus is like. When anybody's in trouble, there's a hemorrhage in the body. And one day we went to a brother's house in Northern Liberties. And he said, I, I, want, to, I want us to take communion together. Because one of the things that happens at the Lord's table is that we wait. And they were going through something in their life that was hard, that could break some. So we want to do communion. So they said, we're going to bring it together and we're going to put the wine in a basin and we're going to take the bread and they dipped it. It was some of the best bread. I was like, I want to ask them about that bakery. And then I thought about what Paul said to the Corinthians. Do you come together for, I didn't ask them. That's not what Paul was thinking about, but I fear God. I was like, man, this is some good bread. But the point is, because everybody is dipping, you don't know who it is. So they, heard what Jesus said, and this is what it's like sometimes when we hear from God. You don't have the complete information. And so that's why we wait on him, because as we go, he reveals more and more so that we can be directed and not distracted, because as people, we're easily distracted. And that's why Jesus said to them, to Peter, if I will, if I will, because it's about my will, that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Now he's asking a question. What is that to you? What are you, are you the judge? What is that to you? You follow me. In this room, for the people on the live stream, would you say, you follow me? Come on, say it. You follow me. There's something prophetic about you follow me. Who is he talking to? He's talking to you. Who is he talking to? Somebody say, he's talking to you. You covers everybody. You follow me. I think sometimes as the body of Christ, in a well-meaning way, we get haughty. We think it's just for the lost. If it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, the enemy would have swallowed me up quickly. He's talking to those who are closest to him, Elder Karen, and saying, you follow me. If you don't hear him saying, you follow me, you're a dull of hearing. He's talking to the chief apostle and saying, you focused on the wrong thing. You 
follow me. That's your responsibility. Sometimes we get off track. People want to know things that don't even concern them. Jesus is saying, you follow me. What is that to you? And he never answered their question because Jesus was a master. He's the master of keeping us focused on the main thing. If we follow him, we'll never be distracted because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Life can distract us because there's so much stimulus, there's so much information, but I hear the Lord saying, you follow me. Who's he talking to? He's talking to you. You follow me. So that's the first of the threefold chords. And if daily we follow him, he said, if anyone's going to come after me, take up your cross and follow me daily. Last night I was at City Reach. There were a couple others from New Covenant who were there, and Eddie James was there, and he sang us one of the songs. The lyrics blessed me. He's a great worshiper. Every song blessed me, but he said something in, in song. He said, Lord, we don't want blessings. We want you. That's the right attitude to make a believer willing to take up their cross. If you're looking for blessings, you don't want a cross, you want a crown. These disciples, and even the mother of James and John said, can my son sit on your right hand and on your left? Jesus said, that's not mine to give. That's in the Father's hand. But you, do you understand the cup that you're gonna drink from? And he said, they're gonna, be, they're gonna drink from this cup. But when our focus is on following him, we can say, come with me, because he'll never leave me. He's with me. I might be wounded in the house of my friends, but he's with me. And because he's with me, I'm not forsaken. I am not forgotten. I don't care how lonely you feel. The devil is a liar. You are not forgotten. I hear him saying today, you follow me. Next, we want to go to the next level in Acts 1. 6 through 8. Acts 1 and 6 reads, Therefore, when they had come together, there's something about the people of God, those who follow him, coming together. When there's always instruction, there's always direction. That's why we don't do this just out of habit, just out of obligation, just out of form of faction. We come seeking him because we want to follow him. The body of Christ needs to be built up. The body of Christ needs to be encouraged. The body of Christ needs to have clear direction. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Was their focus on the kingdom of God? Nope, it was on that earthly kingdom. They're like, we're tired of being oppressed. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you 
to know times or seasons. He's redirecting them all the time. He's redirecting them. And we're just like them. I, I know I get redirected. If I don't get redirected, I'll go down the wrong path. And I, can I let you in on a secret? If you don't get redirected, you'll go down the wrong path. We all need it. If Peter and James and John needed it, who are we? We all need it. Paul needed it. When Paul wanted to go to, to Asia to preach, he said, the spirit didn't suffer me. And he ended up in Macedonia doing a great work. That's how we know the will of God, by the spirit of God. And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Somebody say with me, we are witnesses. When they came together, they asked him a question. How do you translate asking him a question when he was on earth? For us, it is us praying and asking God things. And just as they did when he was in the flesh, some of the things that we take to prayer, take to him in prayer, he has to redirect us. Because he said, there are some things that are not in your authority. You're looking for power in order for you to have restoration of that which you lost on the earth. He's like, I came for a greater purpose than that. Their thought was the Messiah was going to restore Israel and take them out of the hands of, of Rome, but Jesus came to establish a greater kingdom, and they couldn't see that because they were focused. And I said, Lord, how is it that 2,022 years later, in many ways, the church is in the same spot. And I'm saying this broadly, not generally. I'm not talking about New Covenant. I'm a part of New Covenant. I love New Covenant. New Covenant, in my eyes, is right. But my eyes don't matter. It's the eyes of the Lord that's going to and fro. And so that's why we focus on the book. And I say, Lord, people are searching for power but they want the power in the government. And so we have the gospel of politics today louder than the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have a, a pastor in Tennessee, I won't name his name, but he's saying all Democrats are demons and you're not welcome in my church. And I'm thinking that's not God because Godliness is not decided by a political party. And I understand on some level he's saying the values on the left are not good. And his view is you either do what God says according to the law or you're demonic. Well, what about grace and truth? And I'm going to say something that might be controversial, but you don't preach the gospel without controversy. Jesus was so controversial, they crucified him. I'm not worried about being crucified. You ain't gonna crucify me because Deshaun and Xavier are here. 
You try that, you're gonna have a problem. So here's the, here's like one of the big conversations today, and it's, it's dividing churches, it's, it's dividing the nation, and it's about abortion. And you have pro-life, and you have pro-choice. Who's right? Who's wrong? What does it matter? Life in the womb and life outside the womb matter. They both matter. And if you're only concerned about life in the womb and people are getting slaughtered, 10 innocent people die in Buffalo, and there are apologists for that based on something that really doesn't make sense, replacement theory. How can a small percentage of the population replace the larger? It doesn't even make sense, but it's all for power, for political power. That's the point I want to make. It's just like the disciples. They wanted political power. And Jesus said, you focused on the wrong thing. That's not, do you understand that the kingdom that I'm talking about doesn't come from observation? That kingdom is within you. And you can tell when the kingdom is within them. So what side do you fall on? Does that, does that, is this about right or wrong? It's not about being right. It's about being righteous. I believe that a child is sacred. I believe that the bond between a mother and child is sacred. I've had some personal experiences where we've suffered loss and I saw the pain on my wife's face and I, the tears, it was so agonizing. I learned a lesson just from that. I've talked to other people who've experienced it. It's hard. I'm not talking about my wife having an abortion. She's watching this. I want to make sure that this is clear. No, 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 no. I'm talking about when you're carrying a life and that life doesn't come forth, it causes trauma. And not everybody knows that. That is so. But here is the thing. I am a believer in choice. Not because I'm pro-choice but because God gave every one of us free will. If God gave us free will, who can take that away? And he knew we were gonna make some bad decisions. He knew we were gonna make mistakes. But why did God give us free will? Because there is no real love without you choosing to love. We're not robots. God didn't make us robots. And so the key is for people to make the right choices. And people will make better choices when they are loved. Love can conquer all things. Love can cover a multitude of sins. But when somebody speaks in the name of God and is hateful, you have no chance of you harden people. You make people like pharaohs. Their heart gets hardened. But love is a tenderizing emotion. It is tenderizing. When I look at the people in Buffalo and their response, there was no rioting, there was no looting. People went and took flowers and other people in the community came together and prayed.
There are people from the NFL who came on Tuesday night. Tune in Tuesday night. I'm going to show you a video of somebody praying in the name of the Lord in that place where people lost their lives because love can overcome hate. Light can push darkness out. That's what we need today is people to love one another and not to impose your will. Jesus would say, what does that have to do with you? You follow me. And choice is not an idea that comes from government. It comes from heaven. Jesus gave us free will. And God knows I haven't always made the right choices, but the choice that I made that is the best choice is to follow him. And when I follow him, I have more than a conscience. I have more than a conscience, Sam. I got the Holy Ghost who corrects me, who convicts me and lets me know in the moment, don't do that. Don't say that. Don't go over there. Go over there. Say this to them. That he's a helper. He's a guide. And people who don't have that look for power. It's interesting that Jesus said, the times and the seasons are not for you to know, but you will have power. He said that, Val, because he knew they were seeking power. But he said, the power I'm going to give you is not going to be yours. It's the Holy Ghost. You want power so that you could do the wrong what they're doing to you. We're not in the age of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You're going to have power when the Holy Ghost comes on you. And the same people that you don't like, some of you hate them, you're going to preach the gospel to them. You're going to learn to love your enemies. You're going to learn to go to those who won't receive you because the love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. There's something that happens in us that's transformational when the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. There's a lot of love that is not really love, it's lust. The world can't tell the difference between love and lust. And lust is not only sexual, it's power. Nations fight nations because of their lust for power. Lust is a strong desire. Lust is more than an urge. You can get an urge and a tingling feeling, feeling when you see something that you like. But a strong desire is persistent. It draws you in. And that's why James said, there's something about this process. God cannot be tempted with evil, but we are tempted when we're driven away by what? By our own lust. And when lust has conceived, it works sin, and sin works death. I believe that God is saying to the church in 2022, it's time for you to speak life to people. It's time for you to speak a word that is spirit and that is life. Because God is love. That doesn't mean anything goes, but people will make the choice to love him when they know him. They don't know him because what's presented is not like God. It's not like him. Even an unbeliever can tell that's not godliness. And so they reject it. That's the difference between wheat and tares. And I believe we're entering into a time and a season 
where as Janine said last week, I wasn't here last week, but as we were driving home, I tuned into the live stream and I heard about her dream where the Spirit of God said to her, wake up. And just like the church, he had to say, wake up more than once. And she said, it said loud, wake up. God is speaking loud saying, wake up, wake up. And then get up, get up. And then the next instruction, pray. Wake up, get up, and pray. We're not supposed to be at loggerheads and fighting. There's so many churches, the largest denominations are splitting over things. When the Spirit of God is calling for unity, the church is splitting because scattering always precedes gathering. And so when I see scattering, I get excited. Most people say there's too much division. Mm. Jesus said, don't think I came to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. So he's gathering those who really, really love him because they're going to be witnesses of him. They're not witnessing of their ideology. There's some people whose witness is their ideology. There's some people whose witness is based on the political power that they seek. But when we're witnesses of him, we become like him. And the Bible said, sinners heard him gladly. They heard him gladly because he, he told them how their life could be different with them. He is Lord, but he is a Lord over us. Think about that. He is Lord, but he doesn't Lord over us. We have to let him be Lord. So when anybody is trying to force something, I'm like, that's not my Lord because I have to submit every day to him. With my free will, I could choose to serve Baal. I could choose to do whatever because God gave free will. But he says in this text, you're gonna receive power, but that power has a purpose. You shall be my witnesses. I want somebody to make a sound in this place and say, I'm a witness. And your witness has power when you walk like him. In Antioch, the first place that they were called Christians, it wasn't because of what they said, it's because of their life. They saw them and they said, they're Christians. They have been with Christ. They've been with Jesus. That's the witness that I want to have, that strangers will see me and say, this one is different. I, you, you ought to be following him so closely that your witness is in your walk. The way you walk is different. The way you talk is different. The way you love is different. The way you interact with people is different because Jesus was different. We want to be his witnesses. Now let's bring the last chord together. Go. And we're going to look at Mark 16, 14, and 15. Later he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table. There's a pattern that may be obvious, maybe not so obvious. In every one of these encounters, Jesus was in the midst of it. I don't want to do anything that Jesus is not in. 
Because if he's not in it, it won't last, it won't, it can't succeed, and it won't be sustained. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Underline that one word, go. That's the direction, go. Go. I believe God is saying to the church, it's your time to go. When someone is running a race, they hear the sound of the pistol and they know it's time to go. I pray that there would be a sound from heaven in your hearing so that you'll know that it's your time to go. But there are a few things in this text that I want to point out, and then we're going to go, we're going to, go to the final word and wrap it up. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. Here's my question. I want to hear an audible answer. Did he rebuke the unbelief of unbelievers or believers? But these were his disciples, right? It was clear. The 11. These are the ones he handpicked. But he sent witnesses to tell about his resurrection, and he didn't believe them. So what he had to do was get their hearts right. He had to break up that fallow ground. He had to get that that heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. So the first thing he did was rebuke them for two things, for their hardness, for their unbelief and hardness of heart. It's one thing if you have unbelief, but your heart is pliable, then you're reasonable. You can reach them. Have you ever tried to witness to a person who has hardness of heart and unbelief, it'll make you throw up your hands and holler. Because if their heart is not softened and pliable, you will never reach them because they are unreasonable. They are unreasonable. It becomes, as I said earlier, like the heart of Pharaoh. God hardened his heart because he knew there was no chance that he would listen to Moses when his heart was hard. So the first thing the Lord does is he works on his people to make certain that we will believe all things. He rebuked them for their hardness of heart and unbelief. How did he know that they had hardness of heart and unbelief? He didn't, they didn't believe Mary and the sisters when they came. Thomas took it to another level. He said, I will not believe unless I put my hand in his wounds. But this is how loving our Savior is. And that's what I mean when I say he doesn't lord over us. He wants us to know that he's lord. He walks in that room while they're gathered together, the same 11. And he says, I want you to see the nail prints in my hands. And he doesn't say to everybody, but he says to Thomas, thrust your hand in my side. I want you to know, and he said a spirit doesn't have this. He's like, I want you to know I'm the authentic Jesus. I believe that that's what God wants for our children, an authentic 
Jesus. Not just a Sunday school class, not just a Bible study, but for them to encounter the authentic Jesus because that's what's needed even for believers. There's enough. It's time out for doing church. People need to encounter and experience the authentic Jesus. Put your hand in my side. I want you to know that I'm real. From that moment, Thomas knew Jesus is real because the next words that came out of his mouth is my Lord and my God. He thought he was dead, but he said, my Lord and my God, it changed his heart. That's what transforms heart, not bigotry, not hatred, but the authentic Jesus will change hearts, will transform minds, will renew people in the spirit of their mind. What we've got to do is we've got to hold up an authentic Jesus because when the world touches him and when he touches the world, they see for themselves and then you can't separate them from him because I know him for myself. I've experienced the grace of God. I know this God is real. I don't care what you say about Buddha. I don't care what you say about all these other gods that are not God, all these spiritualists. I know he is real. Somebody say Jesus is real. Jesus is real. He said go. Go. The world needs to know that I am real. And it breaks my heart when people present an inauthentic Jesus because of their ideology, because of their lust for power. But I want you to know that the greatest in the kingdom is the one who's willing to be the least. The one who will be exalted is the one who makes themselves low. You got to get down in order to be lifted up. This is the God that we serve. He turns the world's systems upside down. The people of God are counterculture. Our culture is different. The kingdom of God is not like the kingdoms of this world. We need more of him. We need more of him. There are too many people who are rejecting organized religion. But it's hard to reject an authentic Jesus. When we present him in all his glory, you're not, it's hard to say no to him. It's easy to say no to a counterfeit. And even the world can discern a counterfeit. I'm so glad to see what God is doing in our time. I promise you God is raising up an army I saw some young people at City Reach last night praising God like it was 1999. They were praising God. I ain't talking about Prince. I'm talking about they were going in. I took out my camera, my phone, and I started to record it and start to send it around because everybody, everybody is not gangbangers. Everybody's not shooting people up. There's some young folk who love him. I saw a young man get up and prophesy over the city. I said, where are those young preachers? They're here. God has got somebody in high school who's already anointed. He's saying, you got to release them, release them, release them. Open your eyes and see them. I need you to wake up. I need you to get up and pray. I'll show you where they are. 
I'll show you where they are. I got many in this city. I've got many in this city. When Paul was discouraged and ready to leave, Jesus said, don't go. I need you to keep preaching because I got many in this city. I know it seems hard. I know it seems like everybody's against you, but I got many in this city. And I hear God saying in Philadelphia, I got many in this city. I've got many in this city. All I need is for you to go. So what are the three chords? Follow me. And who does he want to follow him? You follow me. Be my witnesses and go. Let's turn our attention for the last few minutes to our focus today. The children. I want to show you something that has been from the first century church something that the church has had to wrestle with and we'll see it in the scripture mark 10 verses 13 through 16 verse 13 reads then they brought little children to him that he might touch them that's a wonderful thing. Imagine parents bringing their children to church and their desire is that they would be touched by the Lord. How betrayed do they feel when things happen to the children that are bad, that traumatizes them? There are things in the news today in Philadelphia, in our home, not far from here that have happened to compromise children in the church. And I'm not condemning the per I pray for the person, I promise you. I pray for them, but I weep for the children. They brought the children to him that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. The last thing you want to do as a church is give the people who bring the children a hard time. Because you know what they're going to do? Make an about face and go away. But then Jesus did something. The disciples, the leaders of the church, rebuked them because they had more important things to do. I ain't got time for no children. I'm trying to, to build a ministry. They don't tithe. I want, nobody say amen on that. <laughs> Priorities in the kingdom are different. That's why I respect the owner of the giants who makes a lot of money through media and all that. He said, on this day, I don't want my team playing because there's a value that's greater than this. That's greater than this. But when Jesus saw it, I want you to know everything I do, everything you do, he sees it. And when he saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them in his arms, 
laid his hands on them and blessed them. I want you to join me in prayer as we pray that in this season of VBS, that Jesus would take our children in his arms, that he would touch them, I mean touch them and bless them. Father, we come to you today out of the spirit of your word, asking that you would take our children in your arms. They need your love. Some of them come from hard environments. They go to school where they have to have metal detectors. All they see around them is trouble and crime. Would you wrap your arms around them, Lord Jesus? Would you touch them? Because one touch from you can change the course of their life. They need to know the authentic Jesus. They need an encounter with you. Lord, I pray that you would touch them and would you bless them, speak a word of blessing over their lives that they might grow up in peace. They've had enough abuse. They've had enough trauma. They've seen enough bloodshed. Some of the things their eyes have seen have the potential to harden their hearts. God, I sense in my spirit now there are some who believe that they need a certain amount of street credibility in order to be relevant. God, our children are glorifying murder. They're listening to music that promotes it. God, would you come? Would you come on this campus? We're asking you specifically and take our children in your arms. Let them be so close to you that you can wrap your arms around them. I pray for every child within the sound of my voice that you would touch them let them feel the warmth of your presence let them feel your glory let them sense you touch them and God we repent we repent because we know it displeases you when we don't receive the children and we even give those who bring them a hard time we see that your disciples did that. So we know that it's possible even among your people who love you. God, it's not because we don't love you. It's because sometimes our priorities are in the wrong direction. We focus on fixing problems more than we focus on following you. We focus on giving counsel more than we focus being your witness. We focus on being comfortable in the pews more than your command to go. And so today, help us to reprioritize our children so that they can grow up like Samuel. I pray that mothers would have a heart like Hannah who prayed earnestly and said, God, if you give me a child, I'll give him back to you. I pray that fathers, in a time where there are not many fathers, when there are many teachers but not many fathers, I pray, God, that in the, in the household of faith, there would be spiritual fathers to give example 
to show what real love is like. Not looking for anything in return, but cultivating those seeds, the seeds of faith. Their faith, their hearts are so fertile. You said if any of us don't come like a child, we can't enter the kingdom. It's because their hearts are fertile. They believe all things. And if you plant a seed in fertile soil, it will bring forth fruit. Help us. Help us, God, to do better. Help us as we begin to minister to, to, cult, to cultivate and to develop our children in a crooked and perverse nation. In times where darkness covers the earth, may we be light, may we be salt, and may all of our children be taught of God, and may the peace of our house be great. For those who don't have children, but who are the household of faith, may they recognize afresh that we are a family. We are a family. Some say it takes a village, but we say we're the family of God in every name in heaven and everyone who has named the name of Christ. May we all together feel the burden for our children, not just our own children who came from our womb or from our loins, but for all children because you love the little children. They shall never be forbidden in this house. We want to encourage them. We want to cultivate them. But we can only do it by your spirit. Bless our hands and our feet that we might work a work in this generation that pleases you. You were displeased with your disciples that day. May you be pleased with us this day. Bless us now and make us a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us in service today. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.